Hey guys, happy Father's Day. I hope you guys are having a fantastic day and that you're able to choke down those hot dogs with some IBC root beer. So uh, glad to have you here. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here and we're in week three of a four-part series entitled Bottom of the Ninth. And the whole idea of this series is all of us, we've experienced some bottom of the nights. We've felt behind either in finances or in relationships or whatever it is. And many times when we feel behind, we give up hope. And uh, I love uh, bottom of the ninth moments because so many times that's when a comeback can occur. You know, I uh, grew up uh, here in Clarksville. I was born here, but after when I was about six months old, my mom and dad, they moved to uh, St. Charles, Missouri. And uh, we became huge Cardinal fans. Any St. Louis Cardinal fans out there? Sweet. I love going to see the Cardinals. I, I, I'm not as, I, you may think I'm really young, but I'm actually older than what you think. And that, no Snickers. Seriously. Um, and, uh, uh, but I, I loved going to see Cardinals games like in the 70s. And uh, I remember Whitey Herzog. Uh, I remember the Wizard of Oz, like Ozzy Smith. Man, he was fantastic. Uh, it's a shortstop, and he always do those backflips. I remember the outfielder, Willie McGee. Um, I remember going to all of these games. And, I, you know, I, it's all right watching it on television, but being there and the ambiance and everything, it was awesome. I loved it. Unfortunately, uh, every game that we went to go see that the Cardinals played, they lost. Um, in fact, that's the reason why we're back here in Clarksville is because uh, the St. Louis Cardinals uh, games, uh, they actually purchased us tickets to move back to Tennessee because evidently we jinxed them. But I am still a huge Cardinals fan. But during those, uh, those games that we were in the 70s, we experienced a lot of bottom of the nights. Uh, we would go and, and my parents would buy tickets up in the, the nosebleed seats and then by the, you know, the second inning we would be already down by first base because there wasn't nobody there. Um, it was just, uh, but you know, amazingly enough, uh, even though they lost a lot, there were some times that they eked out a win and at that bottom of the night they had a comeback. And again, one of the things I think that's true of us, whether you're a Christian or not, or you believe the Bible or not, all of us like comebacks. We like a good story where the underdog comes back and be able and defeats. Uh, I just I love that. In fact, uh, I, I was telling my boys just recently, you ought to watch the movie The Rookie, because The Rookie is a great baseball story that's a comeback story. Uh, we all love comebacks, and the thing I love about the Bible is that the Bible is chock full of comeback stories. And again, even if you've never read the Bible before, you ought to read it because there are some really cool stories of comebacks in there. Let me kind of show you a couple. The first one is Daniel. Daniel, he has a bottom of the knife moment where he gets thrown in a lion's den. Now, when you get thrown into a pit with a bunch of lions, that's a bottom of the knife moment. But he ended up uh, staying alive, and God miraculously shut their mouths. And the next morning, uh, he's got them all trained like a circus, like P.T. Barnum and Bailey. So it's just amazing. What a comeback. Here's another one. Uh, Moses. Moses, his life was a comeback in a, in a bottom of the ninth moment. Uh, he was born into a culture that was literally throwing babies in the river because there was too many Jews. So the Egyptian says, we want to kill all of these Jewish babies. So Moses' mom decides to put him in a wicker basket and, and kind of put tar all on the bottom so it's buoyant and puts this baby, this two-week-old baby, in the Nile River with all the crocodiles. Now, that's a bottom-of-the-ninth moment, right? I mean, that's crazy. And then eventually, Pharaoh's daughter gets Moses and draws him out. That's what literally the name Moses means, to be drawn out. 
and uh, he grows up, and for 40 years, he's pretty much an amazing person doing all the feral schools and all this, and then he kills somebody, which is a bottom-of-the-knife moment for Moses and the person that he killed, right? Thank you. Nobody laughed in 9 o'clock service. Thank you, thank you. Anyway, so, um, so anyway, he flees for his life, and for the next 40 years, he lives in a desert. Now, how many of y'all have ever been to the desert? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller. Um, I have spent four hours in a desert, and that was the bottom of the night for me, right? It's hot. It is crazy hot. But Moses spent 40 years. Eventually, he meets God, and God tells him to go back to Pharaoh to let my people... Thank you, Charlton Heston. And he does that, and after 10 plagues, that's exactly what happens. Pharaoh allows Moses and 2 million Israelites to leave, and that's what happens. And, and it's great until Pharaoh changes his mind. He says, whoa, what have I done? I've given away all of our workforce. Let's go get them back. So they chase Moses and the two million Israelites down. And Moses is standing right on the shore of the Red Sea. And Pharaoh's army's behind him. And what does God do? He parts the waters and then lets them go through on dry land. And then uh, kills all the Egyptians. What a comeback story. Wow. Or oh, what about this one right here? Jonah. Anytime you smell like fish vomit, that's the bottom of the ninth moment, right? I mean, this guy gets swallowed by a great big fish. And the reason why he got swallowed by a great big fish is because he's basically on this cruise ship and throw him overboard. That's the bottom of the ninth moment as well. If you ever went to the Bahamas and they threw you overboard from the Princess Cruises, that's a bummer. All right? So, uh, I mean, what, but what a comeback he came. Smelling like fish vomit, but it was a comeback. Now, what about this one right here? David. You, you may know nothing about the Bible, but you've heard of the story of David and what? Goliath. Exactly right. David and Goliath. That, that David, this young 7, 16, 17-year-old teenager, has nothing but rocks, and he's come up against this nine-foot steroid-induced big giant. Right? That's a bottom of the ninth. But wow, what a comeback. In fact, some of you, you've seen, and I've seen this as well, chanting David and Goliath during March Madness when, you, when they see that underdog coming back and beating the team to beat. Wow. What a comeback moment. What about this one right here? There's Peter. There is uh, Abraham. There's Ruth. And then lastly, the comeback story of the century, Jesus. Wow, they killed him, they put him in a borrowed tomb, and he comes back, and bam, it's done. It is, I mean, bottom of the ninth, yes, but what a comeback. And here's what's so amazing about all of these people, is we can go, yeah, I get that, I get that. Man, what comebacks, we all love comebacks, but here's the thing that I think we all know as well. If I was just going to be realistic with you for a moment, and I hope you would allow me to do that, and that you would be real with me. It doesn't always work out that way in your life, does it? It doesn't always work out as a comeback in my life. When you look at your life and you think, I love the idea of a comeback, but my life, it didn't happen for me. And maybe you know this, but 95% of the teams that, are, that experience the bottom of the ninth moment, they lose that's just the facts, which bring me to another guy I want to talk about for the rest of the morning, and that's a guy by the name of Stephen. Stephen. You see, Stephen, his story is a little different. His, Stephen's story has a bottom of the ninth moment, but it doesn't end the way that all of those other stories ended. Stephen's story kind of takes a turn, and it doesn't 
play out the way that we would hope it would play out. And it definitely didn't play out the, the way that Stephen hoped it would play out. So as I continue our series today, I want us to focus on this guy by the name of Stephen. And I want us to dig in a little bit in his story because I think all of us, we have a chance to learn some things that can change us and change the people around us to give us a different perspective. And if we could just figure some of this stuff out today, all of us, when we have those bottom of the ninth moments, whether there's a comeback or not, that we can experience peace in that. Now, let me give you a quick little background. The first four books of the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those first four books are all about one person, and that is Jesus. It's about Jesus. Well, the book of Acts, which is the next book after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is not about Jesus so much. It's about the church. In fact, the book of Acts starts with Jesus going up into heaven and leaving this earth, and then the church being started by his apostles and the disciples, the apostles, the disciples. That's my worth Manhattan thing you've ever heard. But I'm, I'm Joe, I love my boy Joe Padula. He ain't even here. He's in New Jersey visiting his dad. So shout out to absolutely. So anyway, but he's got the disciples. He's got the apostles. And, um, and they are literally changing the world. They're changing the world here. And what we're going to see is this guy by the name of Stephen, he's not an apostle, he's not a disciple, he's just a regular guy. He's a good dude. He's, he's, a, he's a great volunteer that God is using in amazing ways to further the growth of his church. And we're going to see that Stephen, man, he's full of the Holy Spirit. He loves God. He's one of those volunteers that you just want to clone. And some of you, you volunteer here at one church. And, I, you know, I'm against cloning because sometimes you clone the wrong people. But, man, there's some people here I would clone in a heartbeat because you guys are amazing. You totally are. Stephen would be a guy like that. So he shows up in Acts chapter 6 when a problem arises in the church. Now, some of you, you know, how many of y'all know that the church has problems? Right? Some of you think, well, we just need to be an early church. And the early church had problems too. You want to know why? Because they were filled with people. And people got problems. You got junk. Your stuff stinks. So does mine. Right? So the early church had some problems, and what did the disciples do? They said, you know what, let's find a group of guys that we can delegate this to, and it'll be their problem. And that's what they did with Stephen. And Stephen, he swoops in, and he fixes the situation. And he cares for the widows and the orphans. And I love this guy by the name of Steve. Everywhere he goes, he's making a difference, which is really cool if you're a part of the church. But if you're a part of the Pharisees, the religious people who killed Jesus and was against the church, that's a bummer. You see, the Pharisees were this religious sect that hated this new belief system called Christianity. And they got Jesus on trumped-up charges. They ended up crucifying him and gave him over to Rome. And, and here you have Stephen who's making a big difference, a big splash for the church. And what you're getting ready to experience in the story we're looking at today is conflict. There's going to be conflict between Stephen, who's wanting to grow the church, and the Pharisees, who's wanting to stamp out Christianity. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 7. And uh, what we're going to see in Acts chapter 7 as we dig in is Stephen, he just launches in to this story about the Bible. In fact, some of you, if you've never read the Old Testament, I would encourage you to read Acts chapter 7. Because in Acts chapter 7, 
Stephen standing in front of the Pharisees and the people who are wanting to accuse him. They just, Stephen just starts out and he goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Moses to Samuel. I mean, he goes through all of these people that you can read about in the Old Testament and he does it quick. And he's over here telling them, he's preaching to these preachers. And these other preachers hate him. These Pharisees hate him. And the more he speaks, the angrier they get. So they take Stephen and they're trying to basically put him up on charges of blasphemy, which is amazingly enough, the very thing that they killed Jesus, the same group of people just a few months before. Stephen is standing in front of the same group of people that crucified Jesus. And Stephen starts, you know, going into this thing. And they ask Stephen, hey, are, you know, are you, what do you say about all this stuff? Are you, is all this stuff that's true? And what Jesus responded was this, it is, is what you say. And then he kept, he kept silent and they crucified him. Well, let me tell you, Stephen was going to have no part of that. When they said, is what we're saying true? Stephen says, let me tell you. And he got up to bat. He went up and he is going to swing for the fences. In his sermon, he's going to go, basically go against the Pharisees and this religious establishment. He is pointing. He said, I'm going to place it right there. And he swings. And man, does he lay into these guys. So much so that they're gritting their teeth. They're angry. They're like uh, clenching their fist. And they're going, you know what? We, I mean, they're so angry. They're so angry with Stephen. So let's dig right in. Acts seven fifty one, and it says this. Stephen tells the Pharisees, you what? Now, let me tell you. He says, he's, so, he's going to like this. You stubborn people. You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. In fact, some of your translation says, you have uncircumcised ears. That's a little weird, Right? That's kind of a little nasty, right? Well, here's what you got to remember. In that day, circumcision was kind of a big deal. You know, like today, we tell your mama's so fat, she, right? Well, in that day, your daddy's so uncircumcised, he. They would, they would tell jokes like that. I mean, it was kind of a big deal. He is going after them. He says, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. I mean, and as he speaks, and the Pharisees are getting so angry. They're clenching their teeth. He says this, Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one. Who is that? The Messiah whom you betrayed and you murdered. Remember Jesus? Remember that guy? Yeah, well, he's alive. You killed him, by the way. But you did that. So he's going on. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of the angels. I mean, when Stephen said this, I'm sure he just kind of dropped the mic and he, and he dabbed. Anybody know what a dab is? I didn't know this. My, my 12-year-old son. Right there. That's what it is. Found out Cam Newton... He actually started that. Anybody? Auburn War Eagle? One, two, three, four. God loves you. I'm struggling right now. I'm just joking. But I mean, you think about this. I mean, when, when Stephen said this, he was like, done. In your face. 
I mean, this was amazing. And I guess Stephen kind of felt that way because, gum, when God is batting, batting cleanup for you, he's got this, right? I mean, if God is batting cleanup, you're feeling pretty bold. That's how Stephen felt. It's kind of like, you know what? I, if, if you're batting right before Mark McGuire, you're feeling pretty good, right? Because if you get on base, you know Mark, he's going to bring you home. That's kind of how God is. I mean, Stephen's like, I, I, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for this because God's got my back. So he just let these guys have it. Well, they didn't take too keenly to this, all right? This is not the way to win friends and influence people. So what was their response? The Jewish leaders were what? Infuriated. By, by the way, compound word, in fury. They had fury within them by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fist at him in rage. Luke tells us that they went and they rushed and they grabbed Stephen right there, ending his speech. They didn't vote or anything. Stephen is like trying to finish his speech, and here's what happens. Then they put their hands over their ears, and they began what? I mean, like a bunch of two-year-olds. You ever seen anybody do this? La, 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 la. I mean, seriously? That's what you're going to do? That's what these religious folks did. Unbelievable. They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city. And they began to what? Now, if this is your first time at church, this does not mean taking uh, cigarettes and smoking in the boys' room. Different type of stoning. Okay, what they would do is this was mob, this was like mob justice at its worst. Is you had this, this angry mob come and they would grab you. They would take you outside the city gates. They would usually throw you into a ditch. And by throwing you in this, this ditch, many times a leg or an arm would break. They would, one person would take a, a humongous stone and they would throw it at that person's chest. And that would basically cave in their chest. And then everybody else would grab rocks. Not small gravel, but rocks like a baseball. Rocks like a softball. And they would just begin to hurl it, aiming it at your head, aiming it at your face. I mean, this was awful. This was awful. And during this time, they began to stone Stephen. Now, I mean, come on. I mean, Stephen is one of the good guys. I mean, Stephen is God's guy. He is fueling the growth of the local church. He's an incredible guy. Stephen is the guy who volunteers to lead the sixth grade boys remix group on Wednesday nights. Stephen is the guy who is not only giving to the church, he is tithing to the church, and he's also pledged to give to the Jerusalem Bowl Capital Campaign. Uh, He's a good guy. He's a great volunteer. He's much better than I will ever be. And I'm a pastor. And probably, he's probably much better than all of us in here together. He's one of the good ones, Stephen is. He's one of God's men. Surely God is going to remove him from this. Surely God is going to come through for him. I mean, this is the bottom of the ninth. When people are hurling stones at your head, bottom of the ninth moment. Surely God's going to come through for Stephen. Let's see what happened next. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. I mean, this was a big deal. This was not like a small private stoning ceremony. This was like an event. This was like, there was like witnesses there. There was even a coat check at this thing. 
right? I mean, there was a lot of people there, so what's going to happen? What's God going to do? Maybe God is planning to save Stephen by all of these witnesses that are being there. Maybe if people are throwing rocks at Stephen, maybe a witness is going to get up and say, stop! This man has done nothing wrong. Stone me instead. And everybody would say, oh, that's grace. And they all get saved. They hold hands. They sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved. I mean, and and somebody takes up an offering. There's weeping. It's like, ah! And it it, would just be amazing. Maybe God's going to use a witness to be able to reach Stephen. Because Stephen is a good guy. He's God's man. Read next. As they stoned him... Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. That's interesting because that's exactly what Jesus said when he was dying on the cross for you and for me. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. In fact, that's interesting because that is the very thing that Jesus said when he was on the cross. You know what? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I mean, maybe what's keeping God is God just not wanting to, maybe it's, he doesn't want to like a comeback on a four to three. Maybe he wants to be 21 to nothing. And then God shows up and come back and turns everything around. And everybody claps and goes, yeah, God's awesome. God's in control. I mean, maybe that's what God is waiting on here. Because Stephen, God's guy, the good guy, he is getting stoned. What's going to happen? What is God going to do? He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Stephen died. What do you do with that? You see, I know what to do with David and Goliath. I know what to do with John and Peter and with Abraham. I know what to do with all those guys that had experience to come back. I know what to do with that, but what do you do with Stephen? A guy that did not experience a comeback. What, it's not, what do you do when it's the bottom of the ninth and you're hopeful? No, no, no. What do you do when it's game over and it's hopeless? What do you do when you're so depressed in our defeat, when you feel completely alone and completely lost? Why? Because you lost. What do you do during those times? You see, Stephen's story is a little bit different. It's a little bit harder to figure out. What do you do with it? Well, I can tell you one thing you and I can do with it. I think we can empathize with it. Because here's what I know probably about you, and I know definitely about me. There's been some times where I felt like God should have acted, but maybe he didn't act the way I wanted him to act. And I I wanted God, and I prayed, and I hoped, and I prayed, and I hoped, and I said, God, please turn this around. When I look, he didn't. And I lost. And some of you, you know what that feels like. But the lights, it, they're out at the stadium. Everybody's gone home. Everybody's, it's over. There is no hope. <coughs> Maybe you've experienced that in your life. Maybe you've experienced it in areas of your life. Maybe you've experienced it in an area of your life like your finances. Some of you, you could say, Chris, I'm here today, and you know what? I've had debt, and I've not been that great with money, but I've been trying to work on it, and I've been in debt, and I just feel like I keep on getting more and more and more in debt. But I'm, I'm I'm trying to do the right thing, and then you pray and you hope, and you pray and you hope, and then you lose your job. 
you get fired. And all your nest egg, all your savings is vanishes like a, a cold ice cream cone on a, a hot summer day. And it's just, it's all gone. And your house gets foreclosed on. And somebody else buys your house. They change the locks. And they're living in your dream home. What do you do with that? Game over. No comeback. What do you do with this one? Maybe it's in your marriage. You know, all marriages struggle. And some struggles in some seasons more than most. But it seems like this has been a prolonged season where you guys have been fighting more and more. And you're trying to make it work. And you're 100% committed and you, you say, hey, why don't we go see a counselor? So you go and see a counselor. And things really aren't getting that better. And, but you're, you're in it to win it. You're in it 100% until he comes back and says, no, I've not just had an affair. I am having an affair, and I'm leaving you for her. No hope. No comeback. Game over. What do you do with that? Oh, maybe it's this one. Maybe it's parenting. I have three boys, and I, I love my kids. But I, all kids, you know, they make dumb mistakes. But it seems like maybe you have a child that started making dumb mistakes early, and now the older they get, the more dumb mistakes they make, and now the consequences are just getting higher and higher the older that they get. And they're addicted, and you've went through, and you've tried going to rehab, and they, you, you've helped provide for them to go through rehab, but this is the fourth time, and you've got nothing left. You've hoped, and you prayed, and you hoped, and you prayed, but now it's over. What do you do with that? Or maybe, this is so dear to my heart, I have so many friends that struggle with this, maybe you just struggle to get pregnant. And you've hoped and you've prayed and you've hoped and you've prayed and you've done all the expensive tests and went through all of the treatments and emotional roller coaster and you spent so much money and you prayed so long. God, please, just give me a child. But you just got word back that the treatment that you just did didn't take. It's done finished and there is no comeback what do you do with that for some of you it may be your health it may be your health that you sat in that doctor's office and when they said the word cancer you didn't hear anything else it's like a tunnel vision just happened and you zoned out because you hear that as a death sentence or when the doctor starts talking about hospice. What in the world? How did you get here? And you've hoped and you've prayed and you've hoped and you've prayed. And it doesn't seem like there is no comeback. It's game over. What do you do during those bottom of the nights where you, there is no wonderful, fantastic bow to wrap it up? Well... I want to talk about that because, aren't you, by the way, how many of y'all are glad to come to church today? Right? I mean, what a bummer. What do you do with this? What do you do when God doesn't remove it the way that you had hoped for? What do you do when you lose and we feel like it's all over? What do we do with that? Well, let me give you some great news. 
when you read the rest of the story and you see what happened to Stephen, it gives us hope that God can do something even when it's completely hopeless. Let me give you more of the story. I love this. You know, when you continue to read on, we find that after Stephen's death, all of the Christians in Jerusalem starts getting persecuted. A massive persecution broke out against all the Christians in Jerusalem, and they all fled. But everywhere that they fled, the gospel of Jesus spread. You see... It was because of the persecution and everything that happened to Stephen that caused this little group of believers in Jerusalem to expand and to ignite. And they went to places like Cappadocia and Ephesus and Philippi and Rome. And now, because of the persecution that happened after Stephen's death, now the, the news that Jesus loves you and that God is not mad at you has gone all over the world, even to a place like Clarksville, Tennessee. You see, Stephen didn't see that at the time. He just saw game over for him. But let me tell you, everywhere they fled, the gospel spread, and the gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ, it went everywhere. And then the lead persecutor, a guy by the name of Saul, who was there at the coat check of Stephen getting stoned, he says, you know what, let me at him. I'll go and I'll kill these Christians. I will put them in jail and I will rid the world of Jesus Christ in this name. So that's what he did. And the more he persecuted, the more they fled and the more Jesus' name spread and it continued to grow. And Saul is left scratching his head going, what is going on? And when you think about Stephen, think about this. Stephen, he's standing at the bottom of the night and he could have just said, okay, guys, I, I'm an idiot. Uh, please forgive me. I shouldn't have been that way. I shouldn't have talked to you. Spank me and I can move on. He could have got out of it. But you know why he didn't? It's because he understood that there was a much more significant game that was happening. There was a game that was being played that he was invited to play by God that's so much bigger than his comfort, so much bigger than his life, that God wanted to use him even though he lose. And that's going to be our big idea today. You can be used even when you lose. You can be used by God even when, we, when you lose. Stephen understood that. That even when things don't go our way, even when things don't happen the way you want, even when you feel like God didn't come through when you prayed, you can still be used by God when you lose. That God can still use you even though he doesn't remove you from those painful circumstances. That God can still use you even though he doesn't remove the sickness. Even though he doesn't remove the pain, even though he doesn't remove you from your stinky marriage, even though he doesn't remove you from your painful circumstances, that God can still use you if you go into this with the attitude that, you know what, it's not about my comfort, it's about his glory. It's not about what I want, it's about what Jesus wants. In fact, that's exactly how Jesus, he was going to the cross the night before he is crucified. He says, not my will, but your will be done. And yet, we read in in a verse like Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that says, though through the joy set before him, he endured the cross. How can you have joy when they are killing you? Why? Because you can be used even when you lose. And Jesus knew this more than anyone. He knew it just as well as Stephen did. In fact, I want to just give you as we close three things that can help you 
get, know that you can be used even when you lose. And we get this from the guy by the name of Paul. Paul, who is na- his guy that Saul, you know, who was there at the coat check, who was killing all these Christians, he met Jesus. And his name was changed, and he now becomes, he, he moves from lead mercenary to lead missionary. He starts planting all these churches. And he goes and he says this, by the way, he says this on the eve of his death. He is getting ready to be crucified. His head is getting ready to be cut off by the mad emperor Nero. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, this is what Paul writes his friend Timothy. Paul says, I have what? I have fought the good fight. I have what? Finished the race, and I have kept the faith. There's the three. Let's go through this. I have fought. Everybody say fight. Fight. Let me tell you. Here's the first rule of fight club. I'm not joking. Uh, fight. The first thing Paul says that when you're in the bottom of the ninth, don't give up. You keep on fighting. And fighting is going to be something different to each one of us because we're all going through different circumstances. But fighting means we're going to pick up our bat, we're going to step up to the plate, and we're going to do something. It doesn't mean inactivity. It means you get up and you swing. You swing at it. And you go for it. It doesn't mean you just sit, soak, and sour. You point, and you start coming out swinging. That's what it means to fight. And some of you, some of you, you need to do that with your marriages. And yes, he may still leave. He, I, mean, he's, I mean, the kids, I mean, they may experience this loss and this divorce, but don't give up. Don't give up. You fight. We're going to fight. We're going to fight. And that's why Stephen gave the speech that he did, because he knew it was going to kill him. He knew that if he said the words the way he, he said it, that they were going to respond like they killed Jesus. Second thing is you need to do is you need to finish. Let me tell you, fighting is difficult, but you can do it. Finishing, it's really it's, it's almost impossible. Let me tell you, how many of y'all you can start a marathon? Let me see your hands. That should be everybody, right? How many? Not many of us can raise about finishing a marathon, and if you can. We don't like you. I'm just joking. So I'm really in plan. My wife, she runs, she finishes marathons, and I love her a lot. I'm just, I'm joking, joking, I'm joking. She's in Wisconsin right now. So hopefully I'm safe. She won't hear the podcast. My point is this. We've got to finish well. Any of us can start something. But finishing well, man, that's difficult. Even when your marriage is done, you finish well. You love your ex. You don't talk bad uh, about your ex in front of your children. Why? Because you respect and you love your children that much. You finish well even when it's difficult. Even when it's difficult. And then third, you keep the faith. You keep the faith. I mean, and it's not that keep the faith means that God's going to make all this right and he's going to tie a nice bow, you know, and just, no, no, no. It means sometimes difficult things are going to happen. But I know this, that if you're willing to be used, God will use you. God will use you. Let me say this. Um, I know how this plays out practically because I have seen this and I've experienced this. Um, I have been in ministry for about 26, 27 years. And uh, I have had so many great churches that I've served in. Um, but I'll tell you, the church right before this one was a difficult church. 
Um, I was in the Midwest, and uh, uh, I was on, on staff at a church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, uh, a church of about 4,000 people. I was on staff, so it was really big. I left that church of 4,000, and I moved into a town that had less than 4,000. And um, there was a 35 people at this church, and, uh, and I, was, I started asking questions, and I felt like God was calling my wife and, and Walt and I there, and... Uh, um, we found out it was a, it was a family run church. I don't know if you know that, but it, it was basically one family that controlled everything. And I, I should have seen the handwriting on the wall. I was just naive, but, um, we came into this church and I just started working, working, working. I was the only staff person. Um, and, uh, we just, we just praying and hoping that God would want to be able to do some amazing things in people's lives. And you know what? God showed up and he showed out in a lot of different ways. Uh, the, the church grew from 35 people to 200 people to 300 people. We hit 550 a couple times. It was amazing. Um, uh, in those five years I was there, uh, we, we baptized, the last year I was there, we baptized 186 people in a town of like three-something, and it was shrinking. God was amazing. It was so, my son, my first son, Walt, was baptized there. All that was great, but... I saw the handwriting on the wall because this one family that controlled this church, I found out later that they got kicked out of another church in town because they tried firing the pastor. And um, I was, uh, when I showed up, I just did what I knew to do. And, um, and, it, and th- this family got angry that the church didn't grow under them, but it was growing once I got there. And uh, I remember calling a lot of my friends and, guys, what should I do? Because I feel like if I don't leave, they're going to fire me. And I had not taken any money. I had not slept with anybody. Now, most of the times when you think of a pastor getting fired, that's what you think of. But I, I just I saw the handwriting on the wall. And, and, and for two years, I lived with this tension and I prayed, God, please fix this. Please change this family's heart. Uh, please, please, God, work. I mean, please do something. And I cried out to God, and I hoped, and I prayed, and I hoped, and I prayed for two years. And then on September the 20th, 2005, at 1030 at night, they called my home. Um, and they said, you and your wife, you need, to get, you need to come down to the church. I'm like, well, my, uh, we had another child by that time, so I have two kids, and they were both in bed. And they said, we don't care. So we went down to the church and uh they said you're fired and uh they said it was september the 20th they said we're going to give you one more paycheck the 31st we're going to give you 11 days severance package if you leave quietly and uh i after when they fired me i remember getting up and i went over and i shook each one of their hands and I told them that I loved them. And that made my wife so angry, by the way. Um, and I left that church well. But I will, I'll be honest with you, I struggled with my faith. I felt like I fought. I, 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 you know, I tried doing the right thing. I tried finishing well, and I felt like I did. But my faith took a hit. And I struggled ever trusting God again. Because I was like, God, you didn't come through for me. Where were you when I needed you? That was my bottom of the ninth. I'd never been fired before. 
I'd always left churches so, and it's so good. And now, this area of my life, I feel like my character had been damaged, my integrity had been called into question, and I was so angry at God. Because I didn't see a plan of perspective. A week, two weeks later after this happened, a church here in Clarksville called me up and says, would you be interested in planting a church? And I said, huh, I'm free, sure. Um, I told them what had happened, and they were like, we understand. It happens. I found out that 60% of the pastors at some time in their life are going to be fired, and it's not because of anything that they had done wrong. Because let me tell you something. Church and Christian people can be some of the meanest people out there. And I experienced that with my family. I remember looking at my son, Walt, who was six at the time. He says, Dad, can we go back to church so I can play with my friends? I said, no, we can't. Because they don't want me there. And I was so angry at God. I don't know why he did this. Allowed it to happen. So guess what? We moved back to Clarksville to start a church. I didn't... I'm still angry at God. I'm going through a lot of counseling. My wife and I are going through counseling together, separately. And we want to start a church for people at Exit 1, for people who don't go to church. People, get this, who've been hurt by the church. And what's amazing, I didn't understand why God allowed all of that to happen until about four or five years after one church had started. And I realized, you know what? I've never been hurt by the church before until that time. I'd never been damaged. I got some wounds now. But I'll tell you what, and I'll never forget one Tuesday morning, a 641 area code number starts popping up all over my phone. All over my phone. All over, and, like, and, and that's Iowa, by the way. I'm like, why are these people calling me? Right? Why are they calling me? Eventually, after like the, no lie, like the 20th or 21st call, I answer, this is Chris. How can I help you? I'm thinking, please stop calling me. Right? But um, I didn't say that because I'm a pastor. Whatever that means. Anyway, so uh, and this person said, hey, by the way, I don't know if you've heard the news, if you read the news, but the Des Moines Register... Um, the head of this family, the one that fired me, uh, this guy got busted in a prostitution sting in Des Moines. And this person said, isn't that awesome? You're vindicated. And I started crying. I said, no, it's not awesome. Because that person was not my enemy. God just allowed him to damage the church of Jesus Christ. And I pray that that never, ever, ever happens again because eternities are on the line. And I remember hanging up the phone and I called that guy who fired me and I prayed with him. And I want to let you know I love you. And I'm sorry this is happening. And it was the most awkward phone call ever. He was like, okay, bye. You know, it was kind of, it was like, because my goal was not to gloat. That proverb says, you don't, you don't, you don't rejoice when your enemy falls. And when I hung up the phone, I just started crying, and I said, God, I get it now. The reason why you allowed me to go through that was so that one church would be started one day. A church for people who don't go to church. And in the South, the reason why people don't go to church is because they've been. And it's been a very damaging place for many of us. So I get it, God. I get it. In fact, I can even say now, 15 years after, 10 years after, is that right, 10 years, 
I am grateful that that's happened. I am grateful. Let me tell you, you may be the same way. It may take you a decade. It may take you a decade to get some perspective on why did this happen and why did he leave and why did she walk out and whatever happens. But know this, that God can use you even if he doesn't remove you from those circumstances. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close in a little bit different way. The band's not going to come out. We're not doing anything like that. I'm just going to ask you guys to pray. And we're just going to be dismissed. So um, normally I would pray over you. I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray and I want you to repeat after me. And, um, and then we're going to be done. So if you guys go ahead and stand up. And I'm going to, like I said, I'm just going to read this prayer. And as I read it, I want you to repeat after me and let this be your heart. Y'all ready? Heavenly Father, while I do not desire to be in this circumstance, now or in the future, I do want you to use every gain for your glory. And for your good. In my bottom of the ninth moments, give me strength to fight what you would fight for. But if I lose the game, I pray that I will finish strong and increase the faith of others. And I pray this in your son's name. And everybody at church said, Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us at One Church today.